Welcome to Healthy Wealthy You, where we'll continue to explore all aspects of functional medicine and good health. We'll help you find the tools to become the best version of yourself. Now, here is your host, Dr. Camille Vardy. Hi, this is Dr. Camille, and welcome back to Healthy Wealthy You. Everybody has an opinion about the best way to lose weight, and there's a new diet book out every week. But you know you're not going to get just some boring rehashed advice from me, right? You know by now that I love investigating how things work in the body, and today is going to be no exception. So let's look at the how and why of obesity. There's so much to say about this that we won't even be able to do it in one episode. So today I'd like to look at appetite and satisfaction, and specifically the hormones that are involved in that. We all know about the thyroid and how that affects our metabolism. I did an episode on thyroid in April, and there's a lot to be said about the pancreas and blood sugar, um, and we'll have an episode on that sometime. But there are several other hormones that go into appetite and satisfaction, and we don't talk much about them, and most people have never even heard of them. Yet, we know that different people feel satisfaction differently. And clearly, there are some people who experience fullness at just the right time and have no trouble maintaining their normal weight. Then, of course, there are a lot of us who struggle with weight, whose brains don't get the right messages, and who really need to work at something that should be automatic and natural. And I will tell you, in all honesty, that I'm one of those people for whom it does not come naturally. This is a big subject, and there are a lot of reasons why this is so. One reason is the interplay of these hormones that I mentioned, and that's what we'll talk about today, along with how stress and the lack of sleep plays a big role in this. And in future episodes, we'll come at it from other angles as well. It's such an important topic for our overall health and affects all the issues with metabolic syndrome, high blood pressure, diabetes, and high cholesterol, as well as being overweight. Obesity puts stress on our joints and muscles, causing pain. It puts us at higher risk in almost every disease category, and it directly affects our quality of life and our longevity. I particularly wanted to focus on this today because I've gotten so many emails from listeners and so many questions about the new diabetes drugs that are out that are showing substantial weight loss results and are soon to be approved for weight loss. These drugs focus on some of these lesser known hormones. And they're somewhat logical in their intent, but we are seeing some very serious side effects in their early use, including thyroid cancer and pancreatitis, sometimes fatal pancreatitis. So let's get the background on these hormones, and and then we'll look at some more gentle options that won't have the same risks. Hormones interact with each other every moment of every day, so it's difficult to shift one without impacting something else. It's a tricky, tricky thing. First, let's look at hunger. We all get hungry every day. We eat and the feeling goes away. But how does that really work? There's a hormone called ghrelin. There are cells in the stomach and intestines that produce this hormone. As the stomach and intestines empty, these cells produce ghrelin. And when enough of it builds up, we feel hungry. Ghrelin has other functions as well. It stimulates us to produce stomach acid and gets the digestive system activated and moving, what we call motility. It activates our senses of taste and smell and gets our pancreas ready by increasing the sensitivity of the receptors that react to insulin. And this part is really interesting. It has a built-in survival mechanism. It activates the parts of our brain responsible for reward-seeking behavior and for learning and memory. So when you start to get hungry and the idea pops into your brain that you would like to eat a certain sandwich, and then you start thinking how you can get that sandwich, you remember what ingredients are in it and whether you have those ingredients in the house, 
and you start thinking how good it would be and your mouth starts to water. And as you may remember from our episode on dopamine in April, even the anticipation of that sandwich makes your dopamine levels rise and we get some level of reward just from the expectation and excitement. Ghrelin does some other interesting things. It stimulates our cortisol, helps us to have a strong heartbeat, and supports growth hormone to keep our bones and muscles strong. Maybe because we may have to run after something that we're hunting and we want to eat. Ghrelin affects our sleeping and waking patterns and reduces inflammation. It regulates stress and anxiety and helps with depression because it activates the dopamine system, our happy, excited, feel-good neurotransmitter, as well as stimulating the endocannabinoid system, which is the same neurotransmitter system that is stimulated by marijuana. And by the way, it's because of ghrelin that marijuana stimulates the appetite and causes the munchies. So overall, ghrelin has some excellent benefits. This may be one of the reasons that people feel good with intermittent fasting. It's something that I've always done myself naturally, even before it was a thing. Left on my own, my preference is to have a big breakfast to fuel my day and then another meal around three o'clock. And I almost never eat dinner. I like to go to sleep without much food in my stomach. Intermittent fasting gives the body a chance for the ghrelin to build up and we get some of these benefits. Ghrelin is found to be higher at night in thin people than in overweight people. So I would suggest that it isn't just intermittent fasting that's helpful, but being hungry at night is also an issue. So if you're actually fasting all day and eating a big meal at night, maybe intermittent fasting really is less helpful. Of course, while there are some benefits to ghrelin, we don't want to starve for obvious reasons and some reasons that are not so obvious. We don't want to build up too much ghrelin or our appetite can get out of control. And interestingly, these same reward systems control our appetite for alcohol, nicotine, and cocaine. So allowing that feedback loop to get out of control can lead to addictions as well as to obesity. Ghrelin is highly influenced by our stress hormone cortisol. Cortisol keeps popping up again and again in our discussions. Stress truly is one of the most harmful things for our health. We are just not living the way humans were meant to live. Cortisol induces fight or flight, the sympathetic nervous system. The problem is that it suppresses what the body considers to be functions that are secondary in emergency situations, what we call feed and breed. Those are digestion, sleeping, and sex drive. The problem comes in when we're under constant stress, getting constant blasts of cortisol. Digestion becomes sluggish. Elimination is poor. Sexual desire wanes. We don't feel hungry during the hours of stress, but then when the stress of the day subsides, we feel ravenous and out of control. The production of ghrelin is stimulated by the adrenals and is heightened when we need to manage depleted levels of glucose. When we have felt stress for hours and we've not eaten to support our caloric needs, the ghrelin production is high and we feel insatiable. When we finally get access to food, we eat and eat, even once the caloric needs have been met. There are some simple ways to manage ghrelin. One solution is to manage stress and eat regularly. I know, easier said than done. But as often as this comes up in our conversations, it really is too much of a factor to ignore. Secondly, studies indicate that in the short term, protein and low glycemic index carbohydrates can be helpful. These are carbohydrates that the body uses more slowly, such as fresh fruit and whole grains. Next, we should increase the consumption of the good omega-3 fats. This has been shown to control our baseline ghrelin levels, something that tends to malfunction in people who have a disposition to weight gain. The Cleveland Clinic notes that simply staying well hydrated can damp down ghrelin. 
What a simple and healthy way to dampen the appetite. And having lots of fluid contributes to a feeling of fullness in the stomach as well, something that triggers another hormone that we'll talk about shortly. Just remember to have the majority of fluids between meals, not as much at mealtime. While we do need some water for the chemical processes of digestion, we don't want to dilute our stomach acid too much or the acid will be less effective at breaking down our food. Another way to manage ghrelin is to minimize a very specific kind of fat that strengthens the effect of ghrelin and makes us even more hungry hours later. In a study from Hepner et al., jointly conducted by research institutes in Germany, Sweden, Denmark, and the U.S., it was found that palmitic acid not only increases appetite, but also specifically causes weight gain. Palmitic acid is found in palm oil, an additive in about half of all packaged foods in the U.S. It's found in most snack foods, in peanut butter, pizza dough, instant oatmeal, instant noodles, and more. Just start reading labels and palm oil will show up over and over. These foods contribute to weight gain, not just from their empty calories, but by stimulating your appetite hours later. And it's also having a huge impact on the global environment. Harvesting palm oil is a major driver of deforestation of some of the most biodiverse forests in the world, adding to climate change and the destruction of species. But that's a topic for another episode. Now we also see palmitic acid in some foods naturally, and there we have to weigh the benefits because there are some excellent oils on top of some of the bad fats. Beef fat, we can trim that away. Dairy products such as butter, well, we want to moderate butter's saturated fat anyway. And cheese, remember that high-fat cheeses are about 70% fat and only 30% protein. So the portion size of hard cheese is just a little bit more than butter. Treat cheese as a condiment or a special treat. It's not a meal. Soybean oil is another one where the negative might outweigh the positive since 95% of soybeans in the U.S. are genetically modified. Now, there's some palmitic acid in other foods, but we do need some of this in our diet. And honestly, I think the nutritional benefits of most of the other foods outweigh any downside of stimulating appetite, especially given that ghrelin does do some very good things for us as well. It's all about balance. We need a variety of nutrients, including this one. So we should choose the ones that at least give us the most nutritional benefit. Now, if we want to go down one more level, how does ghrelin work? One aspect is that it stimulates production of NPY, neuropeptide Y. And this is a super interesting piece of the puzzle. Depending on where NPY lands, it can stimulate appetite or it can satisfy it. So how a person responds to it can depend on which receptors are most activated. NPY can also increase cortisol, our stress response, and that can be a huge factor in weight gain, as we will see more later. It can create insulin resistance, which sets us on the road to type 2 diabetes. And it can muck with another hormone called leptin that is one of the big overall long-term regulators of this whole process. Now, NPY could be a significant link in binge eating, in emotional eating. Low levels of NPY lead to stress and anxiety and are possibly implicated in alcohol dependence. Higher levels of NPY reduce stress and anxiety and have actually been shown to help recovery and resilience from post-traumatic stress disorder. MPY dampens the fear response and allows people to function better under stress. Now, what raises MPY levels? Well, inflammation is one thing, and simply eating is another, especially eating a high-fat, high-sugar, 
high inflammatory diet. So if your coping mechanism for stress is to end your day with chips or fried foods or baked goods, then this may be one reason. And we have a tendency to choose those foods because they're often loaded with chemicals that inflame the brain and causes a higher release of MPY. So if your coping mechanism for stress is to end your day with chips or fried food or baked goods, then this may be one big reason. And we have a tendency to choose those foods because they're loaded with chemicals that inflame the brain and release more MPY. The problem is that this brain inflammation causes so many more problems. Those foods cause more sensitivity to stress and traumatic events. They destabilize our blood sugar and set up a loop that causes us to eat even more. And this is also a significant link to how periods of starvation can cause the whole system to break down. And that's bad news for anyone who has engaged in extreme dieting. This is exactly where the pattern of yo-yo dieting can get entrenched. We try to be good. We try to ignore the hunger signals. The ghrelin builds up and so does the NPY. And then we lose control of blood sugar and our regulatory mechanism. Then eventually hunger takes over and we must eat, but we're no longer reacting to the food in a normal way. This might set up binging, stress eating, or sugar cravings. And that leads to more trying to be good. And it spirals that way, sometimes for years, until a person has a full-blown case of metabolic syndrome, obesity, diabetes, high cholesterol, and high blood pressure. So today, I hope we can redefine the meaning of being good about our diet. We'll talk more about this after the break. This is Dr. Camille and Healthy Wealthy You, and we'll be right back. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Healthy Wealthy You will help you find the tools to become the best version of yourself. We'll explore all aspects of well-being, nutrition, lifestyle, fitness, mental health, relationships, family, work, finances. It's you living your best life. No matter what your current health or life obstacles, we want to help you cross that bridge to your new life. Our experience with food, nutrition, supplements, functional medicine, specific health issues, and every aspect of what it means to be truly healthy will provide something for every level of interest, bringing new twists on what you already know. We'll help you figure out why you haven't achieved your goals and learn strategies to help you create a personal approach that finally works for you. Enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. Welcome back to Healthy Wealthy You. If you have questions for Dr. Camille or her guests, feel free to join us on the show at 866-472-5792. That's 866-472-5792. Now, back to the show with Dr. Camille. Welcome back to Healthy Wealthy You. This is Dr. Camille. Okay, so now we know how it works when we get hungry. How do we feel satisfied? As we start eating, we start to feel satisfied as ghrelin levels go down, and we start to produce another hormone called CCK. CCK stimulates nerves in the stomach wall that make us feel full and dampen down the hunger sensation. And it activates our organs of digestion. It tells the gallbladder to release bile to digest fats and tells the pancreas to produce enzymes that are needed for digestion. It wakes up the intestines to get the food to move along. Here's one of those areas in which genetics makes a difference. 
Some people produce more CCK than other people. So some people get that sensation of fullness faster than others. Lucky them. If you aren't one of the lucky ones, then one thing you can start to do is to begin the signaling process sooner. Cook your own food rather than grabbing something cold or something to go. The smells of cooking food start to stimulate the whole digestive process. And that begins to get things going even before you've sat down. Chew slowly. Take your time for that feeling of fullness to kick in. Pay attention to your meal instead of multitasking with your phone or the TV. Another thing is to make sure that we have enough of the precursors for CCK. This includes sulfur, which is found in eggs and in cruciferous vegetables, such as broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, Brussels sprouts, and also the allium family, garlic, onions, shallots, and things like that. We also want the protein tyrosine. Tyrosine is in most protein foods, almost everything really, soy, beef, lamb, fish, poultry, nuts, eggs, dairy, beans, whole grains, but some people don't process it that well. And if we feel we need some extra, it is available in supplemental form. And here's why tyrosine is such a game changer. It's also the precursor to the neurotransmitter dopamine, which we discussed at length in an episode last month. Dopamine is our feel-good excitement neurotransmitter. So tyrosine gives us a double burst of satisfaction, supporting both CCK and dopamine. The next hormone to consider is leptin. Now this is leptin with a P, not to be confused with lectin with a C, which is something in foods that are inflammatory for some people. While ghrelin, CCK, and NPY are active on a meal-by-meal basis, leptin regulates the big picture. Leptin seems like something that should be fairly straightforward, but you know there's going to be a twist. Leptin is a hormone that's produced in fat cells. When we're very lean, not much leptin is produced. So the body gets the signal to generally eat more. When we have more fat in our body, we have more fat cells producing leptin and the body gets the signal to downshift the appetite. Easy, right? Well, the problem is we can create something called leptin resistance. It's very similar to insulin resistance in type 2 diabetes. The fat cells are producing the leptin, but the receptor sites aren't getting the message. So the signal to reduce the appetite doesn't happen. The person keeps eating as though they are at a calorie deficit more and more. Over time, this contributes to even more increased leptin resistance. And over the years, the person just puts on more and more weight. Ouch. Leptin is very much related to what we call our body's set point. It's what our body considers our normal weight. And it's the reason that thin people stay thin and heavy people tend to stay heavy despite their best efforts. It's somewhat like a thermostat for temperature. When the temperature drops, the furnace kicks on, and it will continue to do that unless we change the thermostat. Likewise, our set point just says it's time to eat, even if we try to fight it, even if we happen to be 50 or 100 pounds more than we need to be. And the more we starve ourselves, the more we yo-yo diet, the more the system breaks down and our brains are just confused. Another thing that happens in leptin resistance is that our body thinks we're starving even when we aren't. So it gives the message to the thyroid to downshift the metabolism. We rev slower, we use fewer calories for our activities, and the whole body slows down. So not only does the person with leptin resistance not get the message to stop eating, They also burn fewer calories when they exercise, when they work, when they sleep, when they do anything at all. 
And since leptin feeds messages to the pancreas to help signal the overall starvation level of the body, leptin resistance can affect our insulin levels as well. When leptin levels were higher, insulin levels were seen to be more stable, even in type 1 diabetes. But remember, it's not just how much leptin we have. It's also the level that the receptors can sense that's important. So in leptin resistance, it's not getting through and we don't get that nice protective effect. Now, of course, there's a lot that we could say here about insulin and diabetes. It's a huge topic and plays in hugely with all of this, but we're going to need to save that for another day, but I'll promise we will come back to it. So what do we do? Well, one thing that we can do is to get good quality sleep. There's evidence that people who don't get adequate sleep have higher ghrelin levels for hunger and lower leptin levels for satisfaction than those who sleep well. It's the cortisol connection that I mentioned earlier that's so crucial to getting these systems to work properly again. Another thing is to reduce inflammation in the body as inflammation at the receptor sites is one of the things that causes leptin resistance in the first place and certainly causes it to progress. In a study by Reynes et al. from Spain, they showed that something called GAGs, glycosamine glycans, were helpful for this. One of the things that I love most about this strategy is that GAGs were originally used for pain management, especially joint pain. So you get a double bonus. There's a great product with GAGs that I use that I'll be making available on the Healthy Wealthy You website very soon. I find this product to be so helpful in breaking the cycle of appetite and cravings. And I don't even find it's necessary to take it every day. Just a few days or a week when taken with a conscious diet really seems to help most of my patients to get started on a better path. And then if stress or holiday eating sets you back, it can be so helpful in getting back on track. The one contraindication of this product is that I wouldn't use it if you're on any blood thinners such as heparin. That's very important to know. Now, another way to work with leptin resistance is something that's, well, good news, bad news. There's a specific type of probiotic, Lactobacillus plantarum, and it's in fact a specific subspecies of plantarum that not only helps leptin resistance, but it specifically works with leptin resistance that comes about because of lowered estrogen levels in menopause. And it even seems to be helpful for helping restore some of the body's natural estrogen. Well, plantarum itself is readily available in the U.S. It, it is in the probiotic that's on the Healthy Wealthy U website. But I haven't been able to confirm if it's the right plantarum. So far, I've only found a product available in Europe but I'm working on tracking that down for you listeners, and I will let you know when I have a U.S. source. In the meantime, stay with the GAGs until I have further news for you. Now let's talk about adiponectin. It's another hormone of interest. Like leptin, it's produced in the fat cells, and it's usually low in overweight people. It works together with leptin to help the feeling of satisfaction. Higher adiponectin levels are associated with weight loss, with movement of cholesterol out of the tissue, and leads to less buildup of arteriosclerotic plaque. It helps improve triglyceride clearance, it improves insulin sensitivity, and it decreases inflammation. The good news is that there are solid ways to raise our levels. Ginger, curcumin, omega-3 fatty acids are helpful. Catechins, which are found in acai berries, peaches, plums, apples, pears, quince, barley, cocoa, and green tea. Just avoid the sugar in cocoa. And six months of exercise has been shown to substantially increase the activity at the receptors 
Next, there are two hormones that are getting a lot of attention because of the new drugs that have come out, Ozempic, Wegovy, and Monjero. It was the flood of questions that I've gotten about these drugs that prompted today's conversation. These two hormones are GIP and GLP-1. They stimulate the pancreas in cases of insulin resistance, and they were originally being prescribed as diabetes medications. Then doctors noticed that people were also losing weight. But here's the thing. There are two major side effects to these drugs. One is pancreatitis, a form that's even fatal in some cases. It causes necrosis in the pancreas. That means that the cells die off in a substantial and dangerous way. And even if it isn't fatal, clearly it's creating inflammation in the pancreas that is going to create some serious issues later, serious blood sugar dysregulation in the long term. The second big side effect is thyroid cancer. And again, even if cancer doesn't develop, it indicates a very high level of inflammation that will cause thyroid dysfunction in the long run. And that will also boomerang back and lead to greater weight gain in the future. These side effects in my mind are simply not worth the risk. And hopefully by the end of today's episode, you'll have enough of an understanding of what the body needs and you'll have enough tools to set things right so that you won't feel that you need such desperate measures that are still in such an early stage of use. Let's take another break here. When we come back, let's address some healthier strategies. This is Dr. Camille and Healthy Wealthy You. We'll be right back. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Healthy Wealthy You will help you find the tools to become the best version of yourself. We'll explore all aspects of well-being, nutrition, lifestyle, fitness, mental health, relationships, family, work, finances. It's you living your best life. No matter what your current health or life obstacles, we want to help you cross that bridge to your new life. Our experience with food, nutrition, supplements, functional medicine, specific health issues, and every aspect of what it means to be truly healthy will provide something for every level of interest, bringing new twists on what you already know. We'll help you figure out why you haven't achieved your goals and learn strategies to help you create a personal approach that finally works for you. A little birdie told me Voice America is on Twitter. Follow us at Voice America TRN. Welcome back to Healthy Wealthy You. If you have questions for Dr. Camille or her guests, feel free to join us on the show at 866-472-5792. That's 866-472-5792. Now, back to the show with Dr. Camille. Welcome back to Healthy Wealthy You. Today, we're exploring the hormones that drive hunger and satisfaction. So what can we do to support this complex system and truly get results? Well, I think it's fairly clear that starvation is not the answer. I usually tell my patients to eat more. And if I started out today's show saying that, you might have thought that was crazy. But I hope now you'll see why. So first, have more water between meals. Getting enough water dilutes the ghrelin. It gives a feeling of fullness in the stomach that helps to trigger CCK. It hydrates the brain. It hydrates the cells. It detoxifies. It makes so many of the chemical processes of our body work. You can flavor your water with lemon or mint or ginger or herb teas. And remember that warm water penetrates the cell walls better than cold water. But drink it anyway, that's suit too. Just drink. Our formula for water is that at a minimum, you take your weight in pounds and divide that number by two and you get the number of ounces that you should drink in a day. So for example, if you're 120 pounds, drink 60 ounces. 
If you're 150 pounds, drink 75 ounces. If you're 200 pounds, drink 100 ounces. For my listeners who use metric, take kilos and divide by 30 to get the number of liters per day. For example, a person who is 60 kilos should drink two liters per day as a baseline. Now, when I say baseline, remember that if it's summer or if you live in a dry climate, you you might need more. If you exercise and sweat a lot, you'll need more. Or if you have a medical condition that causes you to sweat, you'll need more. And for these issues, watch your electrolytes as well as your water, your sodium, potassium, calcium, and, and magnesium. You will also need more if you drink alcohol, if you're dieting, or if you're detoxifying. And remember that it's not just what you drink, it's what you absorb into your cells. So I'm including non-caffeinated unsweetened beverages because caffeine and sugar reduce absorption and throw these numbers off. So I really mean water or herb tea or even soup but not soda or coffee or something packaged and full of artificial sweeteners and chemicals. Explore herb teas, hot or cold. We talked about the benefits of ginger for adiponectin. Mints are yummy and cooling and help digestion. Hibiscus has lots of vitamin C and helps to lower blood pressure. Hawthorn berries are great for the heart and circulation in the blood vessels. They help cholesterol and high blood pressure. So it's a great one for metabolic syndrome. Fennel seeds are great for the digestion and nice for nursing mothers to promote lactation. Chamomile is relaxing and helps sleep. Lemon balm and lemon verbena uplift the mood. The list goes on and on. So what's next on my more list? Vegetables. I truly don't know how to be healthy without vegetables. I know some people have an aversion to certain textures or tastes, but please find things you like. Experiment with everything you can find in your store. And if you live in an area with less access to a variety, then plant a garden. When my mother lived in rural Montana, I got her grow lights so that she could at least have a few things inside in the long snowy winter. And she would can or freeze her garden vegetables in the fall so that she could have them during the winter. I love home canning. It's easy to learn. And then you have your own beautiful food weeks or even months later. I recommend six to 10 servings of vegetables per day at least eight if you're dieting. A serving is a half cup of a solid vegetable like broccoli, cauliflower, carrots, or cooked spinach. Or a serving would be a full cup of something light and leafy like lettuce or raw spinach. If that sounds like a lot, if that sounds like something that is very different from what you're doing now, then I will tell you your life is about to change. Vegetables, especially a good variety of them, are packed with nutrition and relatively few calories. Variety is important since each vegetable group gives you different nutrients. That's the idea of eating the rainbow. Our dark leafy greens give us the methylation nutrients that we discussed last week. Beets help with that too. The orange vegetables such as carrots, Winter squash and yams gives us lots of vitamin A for our eyes and skin. The cruciferous vegetables, broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage family, Brussels sprouts, gives us sulfur, which helps with a certain kind of liver detoxification. Onions, garlic, shallots, and things like that do the same. Cucumber and celery are very hydrating and detoxifying and make a great base for smoothies. Asparagus and artichokes have special properties for detoxifying the liver, gallbladder, and kidneys. And I don't have a problem with potatoes or sweet potatoes, even if they're starchy. They're healthy carbs and have some good nutrition, especially if you scrub the peel and leave the peel on. And as long as you don't deep fry them or slather them with butter. Vegetables have fantastic nutrition 
They have fiber, which will pull toxins out of your gut. The fiber, along with good omega-3 oils in the diet, provide food for the good bacteria so that these healthy bacteria have an environment in which they can thrive. Vegetables are also hydrating, which just adds generously to your total for the day. And once you know how to prepare them in yummy ways, they have so much mouth appeal. They really are a comfort food. If you want something crunchy and chewy, they can be that. If you want something smooth and creamy, they can be that too. And if you want something light and cooling on a hot day or something warm and comforting on a winter's day, they can be all of that. And they'll go a long way toward helping your brain feel satisfied. So here's where we start. If you're not already drinking water, add that. I like to hydrate a lot in the morning. I'm very thirsty after a full night without drinking. And I don't want as much in the evening because I don't want to be woken up at night to use the restroom. So get your fluids in early in the day. I'll often drink a full quarter of water before I even leave for the office. Once that becomes a habit, add in your vegetables. I'll post some nice cookbooks if you need. If you just add these two things in, you will notice a profound difference in your health. I promise. What's next? At least two to three fruits daily. More is fine if they're fresh and ripe. Dried fruit is okay, but you lose the hydration factor and it's easy to eat a lot and overdo the sugar. You get a lot more satisfaction from a big plate of grapes than you would from a small amount of raisins. So if you're really craving a sweet treat, then dried fruit is fine in moderation. I would avoid fruit juices as it's too easy to have too much and get a lot of sugar. And without the fiber that helps to slow down how quickly we digest the sugar, it can really trigger a big surge of insulin, which then causes the blood sugar to crash, and then we crave more sugar. The exception to that is if you want to add just a small amount of fruit juice to your water as a flavoring. I think that can be tasty and refreshing, especially in the summer. Just don't overdo. Again, with fruits, have a variety. Eat the rainbow. Get the widest range of nutrition you can. And fresh local fruit in season is the best of all. Red and purple berries, pomegranates, and grapes have a lot of antioxidants. Melons, especially watermelons, are particularly hydrating. Include citrus, especially in the winter. And enjoy the stone fruits, peaches, plums, apricots. Have a variety of apples. Fruits are truly a pleasure in our diet. Next is protein. Oh, how obsessed we are with protein in the U.S. More, more, more. We think fats are bad and carbs are bad. And protein is something that we should have as much of as we can. But the problem with protein is that it is the precursor to the electricity that goes through our brain and nervous system. So too much protein, especially concentrated proteins such as protein bars and protein shakes will cause too much electricity to go across our brains and nerves, causing things like hyperactivity, anxiety, tremors, and ultimately in the long-term nerve degeneration. I talked about this at length in the second episode of my show, which was about myths concerning protein, carbs, fats, and alcohol. I think it's such an important episode, and I hope you'll go back and listen. So how much protein do we need? About 10 to 12 units of protein daily, maybe a bit more if you exercise a lot. One unit of protein would be equivalent to one ounce of animal protein, fish, poultry, or lean meat. One unit would also be one egg, a third of a cup of cooked beans, two thirds of a cup of low fat milk or plain yogurt. So as you can see, we generally eat a lot more protein than we need. If you go to a restaurant and have a 10 ounce steak, you're done for the whole day. For our friends who use metric measurements, 
One unit would be 150 milliliters of milk or yogurt, 28 grams of meat, fish, or poultry, or 50 grams of cooked beans. And of course, an egg is still an egg, even in metric. Next on the list are the good fats, primarily the omega-3s. Here again, please listen to that second episode because there are so many things for which the body needs good fats, the brain and nervous system, hormones, and having strong cell walls that function as they should. We've been taught that fats are bad for us, especially if we're trying to lose weight. That's a myth that was pushed by the sugar industry decades ago, and the lie has been repeated so much that we've come to believe it to be true. Now, we definitely don't want a lot of saturated fat, animal fat, but plant fats and fish oils are quite important for us. And these fats are self-limiting. Our brains really do tell us when we've had enough. The one exception might be if you're eating out of stress or out of distress, then you might eat too quickly and get too much before your brain has time to tell you it's had enough or your emotions might simply override the signals. So that might be a time to find a lower calorie snack. In general, please have good oils, such as seed oils and the seeds themselves. Have olive oil, have nuts and coconut in moderation, and enjoy avocados. Fish provides us with some of the best oil there is. It's very anti-inflammatory and very good for us. Your brain and your hormones will thank you, and you'll have a much greater sense of satisfaction. Last on my list are grains. We know we want whole grains rather than stripped-down versions without nutrients, brown rice rather than white rice, for example. But there's one important thing to know. We focus a lot on gluten, but that's not the only issue with grains. Grains are grasses. So for anyone who might be sensitive to grasses, grains can be an allergen. My dad was very allergic to grasses and would struggle terribly in the spring and would react whenever someone was mowing their lawn. Now, I don't react that way to grass, but I sure do react when I eat certain grains, wheat especially but I tolerate the non-grasses very well, buckwheat, amaranth, and quinoa. So if you've been following a gluten-free diet, play around with that a bit for yourself. See if it's the gluten or if it's really the, a grass sensitivity that's the issue for you. And if you don't react at all, then do include whole grains in your diet, especially early in the day when you will burn the carbs to fuel your activities. Now, do you see what I mean by eating more? Once you've had 80 to 100 ounces of water, six to 10 servings of vegetables, two to three fruits, 10 to 12 units of protein, and whatever good oils your brain wants, as well as a moderate portion of whole grains, do you see how full you'll be? And your body and brain will be nourished and satisfied. And please be generous with yourself. Let go of the idea that allowing yourself to eat to satisfaction is being bad. Our brains must be satisfied. Feel free to keep things on hand that are snacks or treats. Ultra dark chocolate is one of my favorites, and I usually have 85 to 90% chocolate. It's not sweet. It's actually bitter, but it's very satisfying to my brain. Almond butter and a jam that's made from 100% fruit might be another one. So are grain-free chips. I have some snack suggestions in the Healthy Wealthy You store. And I've already checked out all the ingredients and I stand by the brands I've chosen. Now, in addition, I have admitted before that I do like my black tea, my caffeine in the morning. So I will not judge your morning pick-me-up if you do not judge mine. Now, next, we want to think about slowing down. Have meals at regular times to avoid feeling insatiable and to avoid having ghrelin get too high. Eat breakfast. If you're not hungry in the mornings, that's a sign that you're eating too much at night. Gradually shift calories earlier in the day. Have healthy snacks available, 
including protein and low glycemic carbohydrate meals that you can grab during high stress times and gently increase your consumption of plant-based fats for long-term success. Reduce inflammation with a diet of real food. If it wasn't food 500 years ago, it's not food today. Please don't put it in your mouth. Avoid chemicals, pesticides, and genetically modified foods. Really consider mealtime a treat for the senses. Take the time to set a nice table, even if it's a place setting for one. Put your phone away, turn off the TV, chew, enjoy your food, breathe, take in the smells, let your mind slow down. That will give time for all those hormones that we've been talking about a chance to do their thing. That will give a chance for your cortisol to downshift. And it definitely needs to downshift by evening so that you can get good quality sleep. And if you feel as though you have a life that can support the most basic things in eating and sleeping, then change your life. I really mean it. Change your life. Retrain your kids. Set boundaries at work. Consciously work on adjusting your schedule and your life to avoid stress. Do it as though your life depends on it. It does. You cannot keep living without being human. Please go back and listen to my first episode on being human or the series in February on changing your life. Or be sure to listen to our upcoming episode with child psychologist, Dr. Jan Weber, where we will discuss how to help your children to be healthier and happier which will make you healthier and happier too. Whatever is standing in your way, transform it. Be inspired and start one mouthful at a time, one small habit at a time. You deserve it. This has been Dr. Camille and Healthy Wealthy You. Thank you so much for joining me today. I look forward to talking with you again next week. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Healthy Wealthy You. Have a question but weren't able to get on the show today? Join us next week and call in. Until then, hold that inspiration.